Well, good morning, church family. It is a joy to be able to gather with you in your homes or those who are gathered here at the church so that we can lift up the name of Jesus together, so that we can pray together, so that we can look at God's Word together. And in that spirit, I'm going to ask you to turn to Romans chapter 15 today. Uh, Last week, we were talking from Acts chapter 1 and 2, uh, connecting prayer and missions as we have been wrapping up uh, this uh, series on 40 days of prayer. And we made the statement last week that everything in the New Testament moves from the upper room to the nations. And this whole season of 40 days of prayer, and some of you were able to join us in this last week for the Ignite Conference with the College of Prayer folks. These are resources that we trust God is using in your life to build the upper room of prayer as we get started in this year. You know, there's no substitution for what God can do through the upper room of prayer. This is the source of the Holy Spirit work. We read last week in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. The power that comes from the Holy Spirit, the ability to to be a witness effectively for the Lord, all of this comes from the upper room. This is where uh, we see an increase in our capacity. This is where we see an increase in our passion. This is where we see an increase in our joy. This is where we see an increase in our fruit. And I don't know about you, but, but there have been many times in my life that all of those things are lacking. And I'm never going to get them simply by greater effort on my own. I've got to rebuild the upper room of prayer. You know, I found this to be true that, that a poorly constructed upper room is the source of many things, but none of those things are good. This is where I get misplaced passion and misplaced activity. I get busyness that leads to burnout. I get anger and frustration. And you know, maybe significant, the most significant thing we find is a pervasive sense of hopelessness. When our upper room is not strong, when we are not resourcing the upper room of prayer in our lives, we see the fruit of hopelessness. And and church, I want to suggest to you today, that is exactly what we are seeing in our world. When you look at the anger and frustration and all of the, the, the challenges that you see, you are seeing right now the fruit of hopelessness in our world. And I don't want to be satisfied with that. And I don't think you want to be satisfied with that. And so over these next couple of weeks, our theme is Hope Initiatives. We want to talk about what it means to take the hope of Christ from the upper room that God is developing and out into our world. You know, the message of the gospel is a message of hope. The life and the ministry of Christ was a life and ministry of hope. And church, we have so much to be thankful for. We have so much to be hopeful for. And yet, oftentimes, I find myself starting to get mired down in this world of hopelessness 
around me. So in God's name, we want to cut that off. In God's name, we want to see Him bring to life the hope of Christ in your life, in your family, and in mine as well. And so that's our prayer as we get into this. I want you to look at two verses to sort of prime the pump as we look, uh, we make our way to Romans chapter 15. One of my favorite passages uh, in the New Testament is Philemon 1.6. And it says, I pray that your partnership with us, Paul is writing this, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Again, we have so much to be thankful for. If you're reading this in the older NIV translation, it may say, I pray that you will be active in sharing your faith. Why? So that you will be aware of every good thing that we have in Christ Jesus. And in these two little parts that we see in this verse, we see the witness being active in sharing your faith or being a partner with God in the faith. But that when we do that, it leads to a heightened awareness, greater worship, greater prayer, greater communion with Him. And I want to suggest to you today, church, that when the upper room of prayer is strong in your life and mine, that Philemon 1.6 starts to really get some traction. You see, because one of these facets impacts the other. When you're active in your faith, it will deepen your faith. When your love for Jesus grows, you'll have more to share. And both of these facets of walking with Jesus breathe hope. And that is so much of what our world needs right now. I want to ask you a question. I was thinking about this question in particular with regard to my children. And thinking about what a strange season we are in and working our way through. The question is this. What story will you tell when you look back on this time. What story will you tell? Now, I'm thinking specifically about this season, early 2021, when we've just come through a, a, just a very difficult year with disruptions on almost every level. COVID-19 has sort of thrown everything for a loop. Uh, we've had racial tension in our world and in our country like we have never seen most of us in our lifetimes. We've had the election of 2020, which for better or worse, will go down in history as an absolute historic event that we have never seen anything like this before. And the storyline of our day seems to be one of anger. It seems to be one of mistrust. There's incredible fighting. There's incredible complaining. It's a season of self-promotion. There is no greater joy, apparently, right now than to simply be right. And to be right, you've got to make sure that everybody else knows that they're wrong. There's incredible self-promotion. And yet, what has it led us to? It has led us to a season of incredible hopelessness. I don't know if you know the word cacophony. There is a cacophony of voices right now. Cacophony is defined as a harsh or discordant mixture of sounds. And I don't know if you could find a better way of defining the headlines and the news lines and the news stories that you hear today. It is a cacophony of voices with everybody screaming and nobody is happy. Everybody seems to be looking to find their hope 
here on this world, which makes me think perhaps that what C.S. Lewis said is true, that when you aim at heaven, you get earth thrown in, but when you aim at earth, you get neither. So I'm asking this question because I think it would be a terrible shame if our story that we tell was simply an echo of the world's story, simply an echo of the cacophony of voices that were clamoring for all of those things. And church, I want you to know today, I believe that God has given us a better story to tell. There is a hopeful story embedded in the gospel that is not defined and is not diminished by the difficulty of the day. It may, however, require for some of us to say, you know what, I'm going to repent of my complaining. I'm going to repent of my accusation. I'm going to repent of my hopelessness. I was challenged with that recently, and I'll be honest with you, I'm bringing this message to you as as one who's struggled through. There's times that I just get so overwhelmed, and I get so frustrated, and I remember reading this devotional about repenting of my hopelessness, and I said, Lord, I I don't know if I have the energy to do that right now, but that is not the story that I want to tell when I look back on this season, because I believe that God has something great even now that he wants to do. Romans chapter 15 and verse 13 says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. What an amazing benediction for us to be able to embrace today. And I want, to, I want to talk about this particular verse for a couple moments, and then we're going to get into the verses today that lead us up to it. In Romans chapter 15, uh, this, this 15, 13 verse, it, it's been one of those ones that in recent weeks and months, the Lord has just peppered into my life from almost every angle. We did some preaching last fall on the power of, of hope and the fact that the gospel changes everything. Uh, In my devotions, this verse has come up again and again and again. I recently was talking to a mentor, and as we were talking through some various things, he says to me in the middle of the call, oh, by the way, uh, I have a verse that I wanted just to share with you, something that God has been sort of underscoring in my life. I thought it would be meaningful to you. It's Romans 15, 13. I don't know if you know that. I said, yes, I've been hearing that from every corner. Uh, right after that, I went down to my desk. My son had been writing some notes on his desk. I don't know if it was from a personal devotion or a youth group kind of thing. Uh, and he hadn't taken very good notes. He had only written a couple things down. But one of the things that he wrote down was Romans 15, 13. And so here he's left this on my desk. Went to uh, the Ignite conference in this last week. Several of you were able to join us with that, and you know that their theme of hope in Romans 15, 13, again, coming up again and again. And I have to ask the question, is God trying to say something to me? Yes. But is God trying to say something that is a bigger and better story for all of us? And I believe absolutely yes. So this beautiful benediction, this beautiful blessing of Romans 15, 13, I would like to work our way up to it today, beginning in Romans 15 and verse 1. I'm going to ask you to read along with me. It says this. It says, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. 
Each of us should please our neighbor for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May God add blessing to the reading of His Word this morning. We're going to pause on that for a moment as we look at our first point, which is this, that hope comes from a Christ-like posture. Hope comes from a Christ-like posture. So I'm chewing on this idea of hope, and I'm chewing on this passage in Romans chapter 15, and I'm looking at this. This is exactly how it begins. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Paul backs this up by simply saying, if you want to live a hopeful kind of life, You need to get yourself in a Christ-like posture who, by the way, did not leave to please himself, but sacrificed everything for the sake of those who are weaker. He says, we who are strong. We who are strong. And I've got to ask myself the question, well, who is that? Who is Paul talking about? And I believe he would say something like this. Those who are humble in heart and who are strong in the upper room, those who are aware of every good thing that they have in Christ have a calling on their life to bring that hope of Christ into their world. We're going to talk over these couple of weeks about this idea of hope initiatives. I find it very telling that this passage begins, we ought to please our neighbors. Not not about our good, but to be thinking about the good of others. To be thinking about those who are outside the fold. And this sets us up in a powerful direction. Those who are strong ought to do this. Now we know that Paul has an interesting definition of strength. Because Paul himself knows that the secret of God's strength lies in embracing our own weakness. 2 Corinthians 12.9 says it this way. He says to me, God saying to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Think about that. God's power made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. Now, the power of God is a significant thing, and Paul knows this as well. He said to the Ephesian church in Ephesians 3, verses 20 and beyond, uh, that he is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. So there is something very beautiful wrapped up into this Christ-like posture that Paul is describing. He says, you are strong if you are in Christ, but not because of your strength. You are strong because in our own weakness, we find the, the strength of Christ resting on us. So church, we need to agree on the basic basis. We need to agree on the basis of God's strength being made perfect in our weakness. I've been finding actually great joy 
in, in, in just saying, Lord, I just invite you in to all of the places where I am weak. I do not need to be some paragon or some example of perfect strength in and of myself because that would simply be a caricature. That would be a lie. I don't have that strength. But in my weakness, I invite the power of God in. And then I get moving. You know, I don't need to, I love the fact that Paul doesn't wallow in his weakness in a way that causes him to say, well, I'm weak and so I'm just not going to do anything. He actually says, I know that I'm weak in and of myself, therefore I receive the strength of God, I am strong in Christ, and now I use that strength to get moving on gospel mission. That is a Christ-like posture. And we know from the life of Christ that Christ prioritized serving the needs of the other. Christ was interested in the weaker. He was interested in the less deserving. He was interested in the needy. And Christ used His incredible strength not to subjugate us, but to draw us in and to lift us up. Now, I love this because when I start thinking about, okay, God's been stirring this idea of hope. He's been stirring this idea of, of hope initiatives now for several months. So God, what is it that you would have us do? I, I want to make sure that we're aware of this. Don't confuse simple random acts of kindness for true hope initiatives. Now, I love acts of kindness. I love random acts of kindness. That's a good thing. It's great. But it's not a sustainable thing. In fact, if you said to yourself, on my own strength, I'm just going to be kind as often as I could, you will probably find, especially in our, in our current mood and our current problems that we have, that you run out of strength. You see, but when the upper room or prayer is empowering your action and other firsts, others' first posture or Christ-like humility is causing us to focus in the right direction, then this opens the door of hope for Christ to get on mission through you to your world. So Paul says this, we who are strong, that's you. If you are in Christ today, you are stronger than you know. And Paul says, those of you who are strong, you ought to bear with the failings of the weak, not to please ourselves. We begin to look to the needs of our neighbor. Hope comes from a Christ-like posture. So as we move on in this uh, passage of Romans 15, follow along with these next couple of verses, picking up in verse 5. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I love the hope that comes from a unified church. This is something we will continue to preach forever, that we need to be a unified people, one heart, one mind, one Lord uh, and Savior, Jesus Christ. But I love that this passage uh, and these verses give us, amidst a lot of other things, uh, the, our second point, that hope is grounded in God-given endurance. And it's not just endurance. It actually says endurance and encouragement. This, these are gifts from God. These are not things that we fabricate on our own. This is not something we have to come up with, but this is something we come with open hands, just like we did at the beginning of this message, and say, Lord, we need to receive from you. And some of us need to say, Lord, I need some God-given endurance 
I need some God-given encouragement in my life because I cannot fabricate that on my own, especially with this cacophony of voices and anger and hostility in this world in which I live. Now, I mentioned that word cacophony earlier on, this, this, this whole idea of just there's so much frustration, there's, there's such a feedback loop of, of fear and anger that it is hard to, have a, to even have a regular conversation with people about the issues that we're dealing with. I have a friend who is a police officer who actually serves on the security detail for Governor Wolf. And this summer, Governor Wolf said he wanted to go to some of the Black Lives Matter rallies that were happening to stand in solidarity uh, with the, the folks who were gathered in those rallies. And so my friend is uh, accompanying the governor but when they arrive, there are some of the most vocal people at the rally that don't like him being there because he's wearing a police officer's uniform. Now, you talk about a, a, a cross-threaded situation of a lot of fear, a lot of distrust, a lot of anger, and here's a guy who's trying to just simply do his job uh, to stand with the governor, who's trying to do his job of standing in solidarity with people who are feeling ostracized, and nobody is really feeling comfortable and getting along. There is a cacophony of fear. There is a cacophony of anger. So it is into the midst of that confusion and that anger, that resentment, that God enables his people to receive his endurance to receive his encouragement so that you don't have to get swept up in that cacophony of hopelessness. Church, I want you to know that at our, our annual meeting that's coming up here at the end of this month, we're going to be gathering with our members and we are going to be talking about this theme of moving on, moving forward, using as a theme verse Philippians 3, verses 13 and 14. Paul says, forgetting what is behind I press on. That is a hopeful posture. That is a posture that comes when the endurance and the encouragement of God is received. And that's the, that's the posture that I want to encourage us to have as the hopeful people of God. Not that we forget, not that we learn nothing from this last year, but we're not going to wallow in the things that we didn't get to do. We're not going to wallow in the things that we feel were taken away from us. We're not going to wallow in the things that have been frustrating toward us. We're going to receive the endurance of God. We're going to receive the encouragement of God. And we're going to act toward one another in a way that honors Him. You know, I want to just say as a little side note here today, that one of the things that has been hard in this season is that it has been very difficult as we've made decisions and we've tried to do things in the way that we have felt has been best in the life of the church. Not all churches are doing the same thing. And so then you look on YouTube and you look at different things and you see that one church leader is, is, is attacking another church leader. This guy's choosing to be cautious, so he's obviously weak. This guy's choosing to be, to, to be bold, and so he's obviously reckless. And you know what? I don't think this honors the heart of the Lord. And right now, we're in a season right now where we would simply say this. You know what? We're going to do our best to continue to lead through in a way that we feel is right in this season. But if another church decides to do something that is less cautious, I'm not going to call them reckless. 
And if a church is, is going to do something that is, that is uh, less cautious, I'm not going to, or more cautious, I'm not going to call them fearful or cowardly. That doesn't honor the heart of the Lord. And we need to repent of that. If we're going to be courageous and we're going to be hopeful, we've got to stop tearing some things down because God wants to give us endurance. God wants to give us encouragement. God wants to allow us to be a unified front so that even if the church down the road is doing something different than, than your church is doing, you don't have to spend all your energy attacking them. But you can believe that God has good and hopeful things for Him, for them, and for you in this season. Great example of this uh, is another friend of mine uh, who we're on a bit of a prayer journey with. A lady who goes to this uh, church in an awesome, just spirit-filled, hope-filled uh, daughter of the Lord. And uh, her daughter, her biological daughter, was diagnosed with cancer. And a few weeks uh, back, several weeks I guess now, uh, she emailed me and she said, would you please join me in praying for my daughter? Uh, she's going through this thing. She's only 25 years old. Uh, she's gotten this very difficult news. And you know, church, this, this kind of news would be so hard to process even if they weren't going through it in a season of pandemic. But uh, her daughter lives in Taiwan now, I don't know about you, have you ever noticed that God oftentimes leads us through seasons that feel like they are way beyond our capacity, way beyond our ability, but He is a God who gives endurance. And you know, by God's grace, He, he opened up the, the means for travel that they were able to get the visas that they need, and, and this woman was able to get overseas and is there now ministering to her daughter and, and being able to see some already miraculous things that God is doing to help her daughter uh, in this tough season. But I wanted to read this quote from a recent email that I got from her. Uh, she writes this to me. She says, you know, Aaron, as God always does when I'm in the hospital, he's provided so many opportunities for prayer, for making connections, for speaking about his presence and grace and overwhelming, incomprehensible love. Now, I don't know if, 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 if this woman didn't get the memo, but some people would say, wait a minute, you're going through a hard time right now. You're going through a family crisis. But she's in ministry mode, baby. She's filled with the encouragement of the Lord. She's filled with the endurance of the Lord, and she's turning that out as a hope initiative to minister to people. This is what she goes on to say. The human language barrier is no barrier for God. My Mandarin, that's what they speak where they are right now, my Mandarin is close to non-existent, but I know that my clasped praying hands and a finger pointed heavenward and a hand on the shoulder of a cancer patient and a bowed head and a whispered prayer is heard. They don't know me and they can't understand my language, but they absolutely do know that some crazy American lady is praying for them. I love that. That is a hope initiative that my friend Elizabeth is taking on right now. And what is she doing? She is personifying what verse 6 of our passage says. She is bringing glory to Jesus. She's not wallowing in hopelessness, but she is bringing the hope of Christ. Let's uh, read in verse uh, 7 and following, and we're going to get into our last point now. Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God 
For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth so that the promise made to the patriarchs might be confirmed and moreover that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Now, I don't know if you're picking up exactly on what Paul is doing here, but it is absolutely significant. He's lacing in this. He's writing to Jewish people and he's saying, look, here's what God is doing. He is confirming the promises of the patriarchs, but I want you to know that this message of the gospel, this message of hope is not going to just stay here, but it is on the move and it is going out. And this is our last, uh, our last point, that hope doesn't stay in the upper room. Hope doesn't stay in the upper room. So as, as we're encouraging you in this season to be building the upper room of prayer in your life and to be developing a God-given hope perspective, know this, that that hope initiative is not going to stay confined to the upper room. In fact, if you continue to read in, verse, in chapter 15, what Paul ends up doing, it's actually very brilliant the way that he does this. He begins to quote the Jewish scriptures. He says, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praise of your name. That's a quote of 2 Samuel 22:50 and Psalm 18, 49. Again, he says, rejoice you Gentiles with his people. This is a quote of Deuteronomy 32, 43. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let the people extol him. This is Psalm 117 and verse 1. Paul writes, and again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations in him. The Gentiles will hope. Isaiah eleven ten. You see, hope doesn't stay in the upper room. So Paul's telling his Jewish audience, he's saying, listen, and what, who was Paul? He was the great missionary to the Gentiles. And hope doesn't stay there. It goes out, and it goes out into the mess. It goes out into the cacophony. It goes out into the anger. It goes out into the despair. It goes out into all of the things that are the story that is being told in our world right now. And it gives a better story. It gives a better outcome. It gives a better outlook. Now, some of you would say, well, that sounds great. You know, that sounds good. Talk about hope initiative. And, and I'm going to challenge you today to say, what will your hope initiative be in this coming year? How will you pray differently? How will you speak differently? How will you act differently? How will you give differently to take the hope of the gospel out of the upper room and out into the world, out into the mess. And make no mistake about it, it is messy. We got news this week that a five-year story had finally come to an end. Many of you were here and part of our church family when one of our own, uh, Jeannie Tuggy, died. And when I got the news that she died, I, I mistakenly assumed that something must have happened health-wise. She had been going through a lot of things at the time. I had prayed for her. Many of us had prayed for her a lot of times. And then the, the police officers started calling me and wanting to get statements and wanting to have interviews. And they're beginning to probe and ask different questions. And I finally, in a meeting with one of our local police officers, I said, this does not seem normal. What, what is going on here? And he said, well, this isn't public knowledge yet, uh, but Jeannie was killed. She was murdered. 
and we're going to try to figure out what happened. It was five years ago. And for five years, I know many here in our church have been praying, have been trying to figure out what's going on. Well, we just got news here in this last week that the man who killed her has been apprehended, has confessed to it. It's not really given a satisfactory answer because everybody wants to know why. Why, why would something so dark and so broken happen, especially to someone so innocent, so helpless? And a lot of those questions we don't have a satisfying answer to. And I spoke to a local news reporter just this last week, and they had asked for a statement about you know, how we felt about the uh, killer being apprehended. And so I gave some statements. I actually shared several things, and they put a couple of things on the news, uh, a couple sound bites. But I want to share with you one of the things that they didn't put on the news. I wanted that reporter to know that about a month after Jeannie died, we had a special service right here at the church. In fact, I'm going to uh, we, we've kind of dug that service up and we've, we've got it recorded and I want to make that available to you because some of you, maybe even in the process of grieving, will need to go back and watch that uh, in, this, in this coming week. But I shared with the reporter that we got together and we prayed and we, we prayed for the family and we prayed for the police officers and we prayed for the various people involved. But I will never forget that Pastor Chad Oberholzer stood up as, as his portion of the service, and he led us in a prayer for our enemies. And I wanted that reporter to know that while it doesn't change the hurt or the loss or anything like that, just because now the person has been apprehended, that as a church family, we will continue to pray even for the person who has hurt or killed our dear friend. The reason that we are able to do that, the reason that we were able to, to respond differently, not out of retribution, but out of actual care and ministry toward the person who has hurt us, is that God has given us more to be hopeful about. In fact, I was remembering that as we were getting ready to go into that special service, when we were doing a, a little memorial for, for Jeannie, so many things, again, five years ago, and so much was still left unanswered. I was sitting in my office at the church, and the phone rang, and it was Jeannie's sister. And Jeannie's sister said to me, Pastor Aaron, before you go into the service, I have to tell you about a dream that I had and something that God had shared with me. So I got to know her a little bit. We talked for, for uh, just a few moments, but she said, I had this dream and God gave me this picture of Jeannie basically getting taken up to go and, and be with Jesus. It was a powerful and impalpable thing and people's eyes were on her. People's eyes were on her life. They were seeing what had happened as a testimony to the goodness of God, not just the brokenness of humanity. And this was the picture that, that stood out to me as, as her sister shared with me. She said this, you know, before Jeannie went in to be with Jesus, the amazing thing was this, was that they started taking away the, these outer sort of husks, almost like you would peel away an onion. They started taking off these things. And these things had names. These were the burdens that Jeannie had carried through her life. Anger, hurt, sickness, frustration, hopelessness, all of these things getting peeled away, peeled away, 
peeled away as she is being ushered into the presence of Christ. So I want you to understand this, that we have a hope that not only does it, it doesn't stay in the upper room, but we have a hope that is even greater than death. We have a hope that causes us to step out in boldness and in faith and realize that even as we lay down our lives for the things that God has for us, we do it without fear because we have a hope that is greater than death. Church, I've got two goals for us in this coming year. And I want to invite you into them. One we've already been starting. The first goal is this, in 2021, to rebuild the upper room of prayer in your life and in your church. I believe that God has great things in store for us as we learn to do that. The second goal is this, that God would allow us to turn our attention up and out. And the hope initiatives that we will be unpacking in these coming weeks are simply about looking out and seeing the work that God has for us now. Planting the seeds now that God will bring to a harvest later so that when we look back on this season and we ask ourselves the question, what story will you tell? It will be a different answer than the worldly one. It will be a better story. But I want to ask you in this season to begin even now to say with open hands and an open heart, God, show me my hope initiative. Show me the part that you would have me play as I carry your hope in this broken world. And then we get to the benediction. And in just a moment, I'm going to ask Pastor Chad to to pronounce that over us as our benediction that we would take. But right now, I'm going to ask you to simply pray it with me. And if you would bow your heart and bow your head and open your hands to receive, some of you need to receive a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit and the hope that only He can bring. Hear these verses. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of of the Holy Spirit. God, we come into your presence today and we come with a greater sense of hunger. God, we want to tell a better story when we look back on this broken season than simply what the headlines are telling. We want to rise above the anger, the frustration. We want to rise above the selfishness. We want to rise above the hopelessness. And as you give us opportunity, Lord, I pray that you would cause us to carry the hope of Christ that has been poured out over us, that we would embody it even more boldly in this world, and that you would cause us to shine brightly as your people. I believe, Jesus, that you are not done with your church, and in a season of disruption, that we would not simply sit and lament the things that we can't do or aren't doing that we want to do, but rather to say, Jesus, give us fresh vision, fresh eyes to see your world the way that you do. We love you, and we receive today that fresh infusion of hope. In Jesus' name.